Welcome to another FUDS on Film podcast, the only podcast, to our knowledge, that contains an addictive chemical that makes you crave it fortnightly. I am Scott Morris and I'm joined today by Drew Davendale. Oh, I used to hate the Colonel. With his wee beady eyes. And we are turning our beady eyes on a number of films to review for you, dear listener. So we're going to start that process right now by talking about Wrath of Man. Drew, take it away. Yes. Guy Ritchie's latest is a crime thriller based on a French film called Le Convoyer, or Cash Truck. Set in Los Angeles and starring Jason Statham, Holt McAlhany, Scott Eastwood, Eddie Marson, Trevor of EastEnders. Look, <laughs> I know the actor's name and can name at least two other things he's been in. But you probably don't and can't. And anyway, you'll always be Trevor of EastEnders. <laughs> and Josh Hartnett. No, you don't remember him. Uh, and that's fine because the film barely does either. <laughs> Statham stars as H, a truculent and taciturn new hire at a Los Angeles armoured truck company who makes an immediate impact after brutally and with clinical efficiency, dispatching several would-be armed robbers who took one of his colleagues hostage and despite barely scraping a pass in his training. It seems H is a man with a past and a man looking for something. Or someone. That someone is a member of the crew that killed a number of people in the armoured truck heist that opens the film, including H's son. He's a bit pissed about that, and is soon shown to not have a great deal of restraint while tracking down any lead that could potentially identify his son's killer. Other leads exhausted, he takes a security guard job as he believes an insider at the company will lead him to his prey. I don't have much more to add to the plot of it, it's, it's a man looking for someone. And Guy Ritchie is one of those unfortunates for whom the phrase damned if you do, damned if you don't must have particular resonance. After making his name with a couple of very distinctive and stylish films, he's forever struggled to break free from them, criticised for sticking to that genre, then pilloried when he strayed away from it. Even his more successful forays out of the box into which he has been penned, the Sherlock Holmes films in particular, have still had something of his feeling and style to them, whereas Aladdin, while competent, felt very much more like the work of a director for hire. And he may not have helped himself by having his post-Aladdin film, The Extremely Entertaining of the Gentleman, be the most Guy Ritchie film in years, yeah. or possibly ever. <laughs> Wrath of Man falls closer to Aladdin than anything else, being an entirely competent, if unremarkable film that doesn't exhibit much of the director's character. That character often comes in the form of a of a style and a swagger, which is in the film, thanks to Statham, but the film itself doesn't have it. It does have a strong, gritty aesthetic, though, and the action scenes are pretty well handled, even if I doubt quite how little impact assault rifle bullets have on a man just because he's got some pads on, or mm. how little space $160 million <laughs> occupies. Uh, while its two-hour running time doesn't feel at all egregious, it does feel like a tightening up, or certainly a rebalancing, could work in the film's favour. We really don't need to see the fateful heist from the target crew's perspective, as we've gathered everything we need from the at least three other times we've seen it, or parts thereof. The FBI... subplot, for want of a better word, <laughs> could be dispensed with entirely, and while a lot of time is spent on H's failed efforts to find those responsible for his son's death... The encounter with the responsible party just sort of happens. Oh, yeah. he's found him, I guess. That's handy. 
uh, and the title's chapter format abs absolutely zip. But I did still enjoy it. Come on, what's not to like about a badass Statham capping some fools? Though this is a Statham character, and likewise a Richie film, grittier, darker, and less funny than we're accustomed to seeing. That's neither good nor bad, just different, and fortunately everything in the film is generally solid. But alas for poor Eddie Marson. There are a number of British actors in Wrath of Man doing American accents anywhere from good to excellent, and Eddie... Well, he's not one of them, is he? <laughs> Entirely acceptable out of ten. Yeah, I d- didn't. I certainly didn't hate Wrath of Man. It was an easy enough thing to watch, um, particularly as someone with a kind of already established affection for you know thrillers and action kind of movies and kind of a decent kind of gritty melding of the two. Um, but yeah, I. I guess I was expecting something a bit more Richie, um, as you kind of alluded to there. Um, between the excellent trailer and, you know, just, just Jason Statham doing his usual kind of badassery, I was expecting it to be a bit more fun. And this very much isn't. It, it delivers a tone that I was not prepared for. Um, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it was not the thing that I was expecting going into it. And that did kind of colour it for me, I'm afraid. Um, that's entirely my fault, I think. Um, however, <laughs> there's a lot of things in Wrath of Man that if I was talking about, I'd really be talking about the things I don't like, um, that, that I don't want to get too hung up on. I feel that its, it's tone is... There's worse offenders that we'll get to in this episode, but it's a it's a little bit too serious at the same time as having things that are just a bit too silly happening in it that I can't really forgive. Like um, harsh, uh, Joss Hartnett's entire role um, just feels like it's uh, coming in from a different film, and the ending where Statham miraculously just shows up at a hideout is woefully underserved that is something that needed a lot more explanation than it actually got yeah, that's um, that's if exactly. I'm going to let away with it the film goes into excruciating detail about all the, the, the <laughs> yes. leads that were wrong and the right one is just, I say it just turns up oh well yeah. good for him I guess but how <laughs> yes congratulations you've ended the film but it's exceedingly <laughs> not satisfying as an ending yeah. and uh, that's maybe what annoyed me more than anything else is it left me with quite a sour note to go out on and um, particularly given the amount of punishment he he dealt before that for for him to just suddenly appear like as though he's teleported in from outside of the frame uh yeah but by, by no means um uh entirely uncommon criticism for this kind of thing um but still it, it felt like it was not earning that particular ending ultimately i agree it was enjoyable enough i enjoyed the two hours or so i spent with it it could certainly have been uh, done between tightened in it's an acceptable enough piece of entertainment and you know I'll, I'll take that for what it is but i i was kind of hoping for something a bit better a bit more special particularly given how good the gentleman was um yep, watched yep. that again fairly recently it is absolute barnstormer of a film and this one's just competent and uh that's fine uh you can't knock him out of the park every time this is just a a, a decent enough effort but yeah i was i was hoping for more i have to admit yeah. um yeah it's solid enough three out of five kind of style of film um it certainly wouldn't dissuade anyone from from seeing it um unless you're uh particularly uh not not on board with this kind of uh genre stuff but yeah it's, it's just not brilliant yeah and i i didn't have expectations because i hadn't seen the trailer and all i knew about it was was a guy Richie film Jason Statham. Like, well, I'll yeah. be watching that then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, I suppose I had some expectation in that I was expecting a guy Richie film. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is a thing. Yes. 
He's and not, a thing I really like, yes. which is why I was looking forward to it. So yeah, yeah. Um, as I said, like the Sherlock Holmes films, they're they're very different for something like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, but they do feel like Guy Ritchie films. Yeah, they have um, a similar tone to it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas his, his missteps have generally been the ones that felt less like that. Yeah, uh, I I've still never seen Swept Away, but like the yes. Man from Uncle. It's pretty dull, <laughs> and some of Guy Ritchie's films are really funny. And that in that film, the comedy just fell flat. Yeah. Um, in this one, there is no comedy at all. I, I did see a um, line in a review on Roger Ebert. Uh, I forget who reviewed it there, but uh, described Jason Statham's character as being a man who tried smiling four times in the nineties and decided it wasn't for him. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is spot on. But it's um and. It, there's almost a bit of like your your more typical Statham there that like it's a couple of lines that are almost kind of pithy one-liners. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that is, if they feel like that just because they're coming out of Jason Statham's mouth, or whether they are, would be like that in feel have still have that feel in another film, but but they still they, they are in it's it's so straight. And again, it's fine. It's a solid film, but I don't think I'm ever going to watch it again. Yeah, I, I don't think there's much to be gained from rewatching it either. No. Yeah, my biggest problem is just is the structural stuff. It's Josh Hartnett's character is I, I assume there to remind people that Josh Hartnett's alive, hmm. um, which came as a surprise to me. But uh, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I, I presume that was intended as the comic relief because the, I think all the um, sort of Statham esque kind of moments that you were talking about just there. Do t- tend to happen in response to what he was saying um, from from memory, but it just feels like it's not in the same film as all the rest of it. It, oh. it feels like the scenes that should have been cut out rather than the ones that have been left in. No, I actually felt that his character was in there as a red herring, especially because what that character's name is is a name that comes up later on when you're overhearing the crew's radio chatter about their inside man. I thought, oh, mm. right, but it's not. So, yeah. So I kind of like, well, this character's such a yeah. an idiot. Like, clearly he's a bad guy. It's like, oh, no, he wasn't. Oh, okay. Um, and I say, yeah. it's such a small role that would, I'm not, I hope not smart for anybody, but it's, it's such a small role that you'd have been really angry had that actually been the the case, I think. And it'd be like, better to not have that worry. That is perhaps another problem with the film. It does have too many people in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could definitely do with losing an awful lot of them. Um, I know that might make, perhaps make it a little bit more obvious who the inside man actually was, but... Come on, you're not. This isn't really an Agatha Christie thing. No, we're no. not all that interested in the exact identity of the who done it is to the point where we need another, you know, at least three or four other characters because there's a few other characters that are kind of acting a bit dodgy that could have been the inside man, but no one really cares that much about it. So um, yeah, between that and the the showing of the actual bad guys, which is another group of what five six people that get quite a lot of screen time as well. There's just not enough. Um, not enough screen time to, to be divided amongst all these people if you want them, people to be care about any of them. No, so, yeah, it's, it's like a bit of a trouble. Um, like Scott Eastwood, he's kind of got one of those faces you want to punch. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> and also looks slightly like Sam Worthington. The two of those <laughs> may not be unrelated. Uh, <laughs> no, but so like, he's kind of a recognisable face in the crew and everybody else is sort of anonymous apart from the guy the scottish guy who's actually one of the people doing the good american accent who looks like nick frost but isn't <laughs> yeah and 
yeah, then you've got a whole bunch of people working in the the office, and there, there's so many. It kind of kind of goes against conservation of cards in some cases, actually, because there are so many <laughs> yeah. you know, extraneous cards. Like Rob Delaney turns up as the boss. Yeah, <laughs> and I like Rob Delaney, but he's got no purpose in this film at all. I don't like Rob Delaney, but um, he, <laughs> in this, I, I had no particular opinion of him. Other. He's the boss of the company. An insurance swindle? Is he the bad guy? That's possible. Is that why he's in there? Because he has no other purpose yeah. in this film at all. No, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so the, the bad crew's kind of anonymous. H's crew is largely anonymous. There's that guy, somebody De Silva, I forget his first name, Daniel David De Silva maybe, who sort of looks mm. like Mel Gibson. You see Mel Gibson with his full beard. Right, yeah. Um, that kind of looked um, um I could pick him out because you see him a bit. Then the rest of his crew, they, they are people with faces. Yeah. But this is very much why I didn't want to talk all that much about um, Rather Man because <laughs> it's a film that ultimately I, I didn't mind watching. Yeah. But I think the more you think about it, the, the more it kind of falls apart. And the, the more you analyse it, the more the kind of problems become apparent. And yeah. I, this is perhaps one of these times where it's best just to simply not think about it and watch yeah. it in the background on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, yeah. it's fine. I did enjoy it. It's just that it, yeah. the structure's kind of weird. It's got these four sort of sections with titles, like completely unnecessary. They spend too long on one with them. Um, yeah. going back trying to get leads about um, who these people are and then say it needs a rebalancing because there's nothing at the end it just turns up teleports yes. in yes. I guess <laughs> um, yeah uh, so it's kind of disappointed in it it doesn't have any sort of kind of guy you actually feel about it it's just yeah. it's, it's a really solid film and, and that's it right so something about cartoon Dalmatians and the, 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 I hate Disney. Whatever. <laughs> Cruella Scott. Seamless, seamless thinking device in Cruella there. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. I don't know if... I work in these really I, hard, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if the world was really crying out for 101 Dalmatians prequel, but I suppose the necessity train departed this franchise's station around about the time of 102 Dalmatians. So why not give us a wicked-style look at Cruella Deville's early life? Uh, in here, the young Estella Miller, ultimately played by Emma Stone, is heavily encouraged by her mother, Emily Beecham's Catherine Miller, to bury her cruel streak and embrace being nice, and maybe also embrace her talent for fashion design. Due to the provocations of the situation, this doesn't exactly work out with her being turfed out of school for some broadly justified acts of rebellion, and Catherine resolves to move the two of them to London. Just one quick stop to make first at Emma Thompson's Baroness von Hellman's gaff to ask for some financial assistance, which results in Catherine's Dalmatian-assisted plunge off a cliff, although at this point Estella isn't aware of the Baroness's guilt. The now-orphaned Estella makes her way to London, soon forming a loose family with street kids Jasper and Horace, who will grow up to be Joel Fry and Paul Walter Hauser, as the narrative moves along to the 70s, where they're still surviving on their wits and petty thievery, until Jasper and Horace give her a birthday gift, a fraudulently obtained cleaner's job at the Liberty Department Store, a bastion of fashion where uh, Estella's always wanted to work at, um, ideally with design, uh, working her way up to designing for the store's legendary owner, who happens to be Baroness von Hellman. And I'm sure you see where this is going. Uh, before long, Estella has impressed the domineering Baroness with her skills and, well, basic competence, and is acting as her personal assistant when the truth of her mother's death is unwittingly revealed, and Estella plots revenge, embracing the Cruella Deville personality to continually upstage and sabotage the Baroness's fashion shows and get to the bottom of the story of her true parentage. 
Now, I don't know what essential filmmaking is in this day and age, or indeed any day and age. I am not a smart boy. However, while it's pretty clear that this ain't it, Chief, the past year and a bit has given me a renewed affection for distracting baubles like Cruella, which is a solidly enjoyable chunk of entertainment. Uh, Stone, and particularly Thompson, leaving no piece of scenery unchewed, uh, and with a sense of bombast that's reflected in the scope of the fashion stunts of the later acts. The two play off each other well, and it's an entertaining pairing that I suppose naturally invites comparison with The Devil Wears Prada, as noted by every reviewer who's reviewed this. I never claimed to be a thought leader. Now, for much of this film, Mark Strong does not wear an amusing wig, so I was going to write this off as 21's most disappointing movie, <laughs> but thankfully, some later real flashbacks provide an opportunity opportunity for some characteristically awful headpieces, thus making this the finest 2K21 has yet offered, at least in the vaunted Mark Strong wig category. Um, look, it's enjoyable enough, uh, but it's not something that's likely to be bothering any film of the year lists, but at the very least, it's the only film we'll speak of today that picks an appropriate tone and sticks to it, and is certainly the most full of life. Uh, still not enough to get me subscribing to Disney Plus, of course. Yar. Yeah, um, to be honest, I have so little interest in this film that I was struggling to even listen to a word you said there, and the only reason I did is because it was one of my oldest friends saying those words. Um, yes. I saw that Cruella was a thing, and I thought... Oh. That was it. You, you thought but literally that, nothing, yes. Yes. Um, it was... Uh, yeah, I, I am sure I've seen 101 Dalmatians as a child. It left no mark mm. on me. I was not even aware there was a live-action remake until I <laughs> stumbled across it when I was looking up for this, but yes, uh, apparently there's a thing that exists, as Ooh, well as a sequel, which yeah. was another thing that exists. Right, I've um, not seen yeah. the animation, and I, as with all Disney animation, apart from like five, it's shit. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 um, as well as Disney animation, apart from five, it's rubbish. Um, <laughs> I don't like Disney, they're not good. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen the animation. I do remember there now being a a live action thing. Is that like the early two thousand something like that? Yeah, or S- same kind of early t- to mid at least. There's yeah. that kind of time frame. Yeah, same kind of time. Like Stuart Little was being made. Is Hugh yeah. Lewin, or am I just confusing that with Stuart Little? I don't know if he's in it or not. To Is be honest, I don't think so. But I'm not sure. for some reason. Yes, I'm um, <laughs> aware of that happening, but like, I just don't care about this. I'm it's one of the least interested I've been in anything in quite some time. Well, mm. that exists then, that's nice. Yep. I funny. would say I, 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 I actually enjoyed it. I have no particular bone to pick with it. It's uh, obviously not particularly essential, but it is um, staking out its its tone and its story fairly early on and keeping with it. And if you liked the uh, other kind of Disney live action stuff that's been done recently the, between Aladdin and um, Beauty and the Beast, it's a similar kind of level of kind of quality and polish and all that kind of stuff. So it is fitting in well with its um, its stable mates and is a, a perfectly valid and enjoyable entry into Disney's kind of recent live action stuff. Perfectly good, uh, perfectly solid entertainment. Um, uh, say, mainly it's made by Emma Thompson and M- Emma Stone, who are just absolutely chewing every bit of scenery, uh, going and uh, really having it up yeah. to an amusing degree. And um, yes, I certainly was not expecting to see um, Paul Walter Hauser 
show up doing the most Cockney of Cockney accents. Um, it's, he's taken some stick for it, uh, it being not a particularly great Cockney accent, but it's certainly no Dick Van Dyke thing because it's, it's clearly aiming to be the ultimate broad kind of Guy Ritchie-esque stereotype of a Cockney accent, and that's exactly what he delivers. It's perfectly fine. Um, it's it, It's got a reasonable amount of heart. I, I like the, most of the supporting acts. Uh, yeah, it's, it is perfectly fine. I would... If, if you're in the sort of category of person that would be even vaguely interested in something like this, then give it a go. It's pretty good. Um, but yes, not enough for me to to say that you must watch it because now you won't get a love for if you're not already on that wavelength. But yeah, it's good enough for what it is. I have no particular complaint against it. To be fair, my issues with the unnecessary nature and the ridiculous cynicism of them aside... I've seen a couple of the live-action Disney things, and they're okay. Mm. I actually really quite like Beauty and the Beast in mm. a way that I very much did not like the animation. Yes. And Maleficent, I've only seen the first one, was okay right up until the point that man appears whose name I've decided I don't want to <laughs> say anymore because he's a bad yes. man. Um, <laughs> and so when he's not in it, it's not so bad. Uh, Aladdin? It's okay, but spectacularly unnecessary, especially given that Aladdin's one of the very few good Disney animations. Yeah. Um, and the worst villain I've seen in quite some time. I believe you had the, the same feelings about that when we talked about that a couple of years ago, Scott. Jafar I don't discount it, but now that, now that I cannot remember it at all, <laughs> um, that probably speaks volumes about it. <laughs> he was just like the most milk toast villain there's ever been, I think, in anything. <laughs> because like, Jafar in the cartoon was this cackling maniac. And mm. Jafar and the Guy Ritchie film was Man with Turban. In which case, I think I might actually recommend this to you because you get two cackling maniacs so, uh, <laughs> for, your, for your money. So, yes, maybe worth a go. Give it a, give it a chance. I like Emma Stone, like Emma Thompson, but uh, with so many films watched, I don't think I'll ever watch this. Uh, Fair enough. But I mean, it, it, it's not like I'm going to actively avoid it in it either. Uh, but yeah, it's it's probably not for me. I bear it no ill will, and if you enjoy yes. it, I'm happy for you. <laughs> that that sounds like I was um, being really facetious there. I wasn't. I, I'm happy that you watched the film you enjoyed, because that's better than watching bad <laughs> films, like what yes. I've done. Yes, um, in which case, speaking of films we wish we actively avoid, <laughs> avoided, uh, Army of the Dead. Or, or what is that all about? It's Hack Snyder's Aliens. <laughs> right. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll speak to you in the next podcast. Um... <laughs> No, but seriously, Aliens. Have you seen Aliens? So is Zack Snyder. He's going to show you Aliens again, but you know, worse in every single way. And longer. Much, much longer. So, yay. No, I'm not joking. Aliens. It like, starts off with the idea of, like, there's zombies in Las Vegas. Uh, something which goes absolutely nowhere. The fact that it's in Las Vegas is largely irrelevant for 99% of the film. They don't do anything interesting with the setting at all. But then in Las Vegas, there's a vault in a casino full of money that uh, Hiroyuki Tanada wants Dave Bautista to put a crew together. Apparently that's the way people speak um, in Zack Snyder work who can't write dialogue. <laughs> he wants them to go and get that before Las Vegas gets nuked to kill all the zombies. Uh, and then it turns into alien, you know, aliens, um, replete with... Latina woman with red and white bandana who um, dies in an explosion and lines like you don't see them screwing each other over just without the for a percentage bit on the end. <laughs> it, it's not subtle. It's not subtle at all. 
What it is is exceptionally boring, exceptionally mm. ugly, unnecessarily long, insipid, cringeworthy, full of terrible dialogue, stilted acting, terrible effects. One of the worst character replacements I've seen in a good long time because somebody did a naughty and had to get cut out of the film. And and, and it's just it's terrible. Um and to us, I don't know why I watched it. In fact, no, I do know why I watched it because Craig had watched it and he was meant to be joining us tonight <laughs> and I thought that'll be something interesting to talk about. And he's not here and I hate them. <laughs> so I saw Red Letter Media's half in the bag about this and it made it look like the worst thing ever. So I thought I'm never going to watch that. <laughs> and for reasons I've just mentioned, I changed my mind. Um, and also because I thought, no, Zack Snyder has actually already actually given me the worst thing possible in this year already. Um, <laughs> the actual worst thing has already happened, so this couldn't possibly be as bad, as bad. And, you know, it's not. Whereas I spent most of the, oh God, four and a half hours of the Snyder cut of Justice League hating almost every minute of it, this two and a half hour film just bored me every single minute. So, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I'm not sure. Is that better? I don't know. Uh, Probably not, no. <laughs> uh, so really, I decided to, I, I went on a wee uh, tangent instead, Scott, and I decided to, to imagine h- how this film came about in the first place because it's, it's directed by Zack Snyder, it's written by Zack Snyder, and you've maybe noticed in previous films, Zack Snyder can't write. Um, <laughs> and it is also co-written by somebody called Joby, but it's particularly because of this film, I can't help but pronounce Joby because it seems appropriate. Yes, also, I mentioned this film is very ugly. This film's DP is Zack Snyder because he's well known for being a good DP, right? Yeah. Hmm. So I, I can never imagine this uh, meeting in pre-production where he was, you know, planning it with a competent, qualified director of photography who asked in pre-production, what did you envisage for the depth of field and for this scene? To which Zack Snyder was only applied, none. None depth of field. <laughs> okay. And the next scene? No, no, no. The entire movie. None depth yeah. of field. I want the entire film shot at F0.95. <laughs> no, no. Less if you can. <laughs> the entire movie, none depth of field. I quit, presumably said the, the competent DP. <laughs> um, good Lord. That is horrible. Um, and yes. nauseating, which I suppose is something to take away from the boredom. <laughs> uh, I will say that that for the, the opening three minutes, it's sort of promising in that while I, I don't know why 2021 people like Zach Center still think cars are made of C4 mm. or they're entirely petrol or something because of the way it explodes, but uh, within like the, the opening minute or two of the film, a couple of people who think the moon landings were a hoax die in a fireball. So, you know, that gets me right on side. <laughs> and there's Richard Cheese in the soundtrack, as there was an army of... Uh, sorry, Dawn of the Dead, his remake of the George Romero film back in 2004, Dawn of the Dead, Scott. That'd be right. Mm, sounds about right, yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah, the positives kind of end there. It's, uh, yeah. They, they go into Las Vegas, it turns into aliens, and nothing interesting happens. There's not a single character that's memorable, including one character they set up as a. I suppose I, I have remembered them, but that's me. Um, set up as this 
horrible power abusing person who I don't even understand how these camps actually in Las Vegas work because he's saying I can make your life hell volunteer but these people have volunteered no don't stop thinking Drew stop thinking it's really going to make your head hurt um, and this character goes in with them uh, because the the blonde woman wants to well, that's her name blonde woman uh, <laughs> wants to create a sacrifice because these are smart zombies now who are a Apparently vampires also, because they, they seem to have lifted vampire mythology to explain how they work. But uh, 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 He disappears for the entire film and pops up at the end like, oh wait, he was in it, I guess. That was, mm. that, that was good. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, I mean, they spent clearly a lot of money on it. A lot of money was spent putting Tignotaro in to replace the, the guy who'd done a naughty. I forget who he is or what he did. I don't care. Um, replace him with Tignataro. And the Tignataro, who I quite like, who's pretty much the single tolerable and entertaining thing in season two of Star Trek Discovery. She's appalling. Lumbered with the worst and least funny dialogue I've seen in quite some time. Spent all this money creating these fake backdrops and fake bokeh. And, because yeah, I'm pretty sure most of that's not actually real bokeh. Foka. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and couldn't be bothered spending the tiny amount to fix all the dead pixels. <laughs> yeah, because you're going to wa- if you do watch this, and I suggest you don't, you might think your TV's wrecked because several scenes have a very, very notable bright white pixels right in the middle of this scene. Like, no, no, it's not your television, it's their cameras. And despite the clear hundreds of millions of dollars spent on this by Netflix, nobody even spotted it because that's how much care was being paid to this. But that's how much they care about you. <laughs> Did I mention Zack Snyder is a talentless hack? Yeah, uh, extra special anti-products for giving Sean Spicer a role. Uh, yeah, th- th- there's a scumbag doesn't deserve work, but you got a small yes. role in this film, so great. <laughs> Maybe we should be slightly grateful it's not Sarah Huckabee Sanders because Sean Spicer all seemed slightly more incompetent where she was pure evil. But <laughs> I'm really splitting hairs here. Yeah, and then. There, there, there was absolutely no peril at all. Apparently, everybody's a crack shot. Every single shot lands. Most of them headshots. Like, oh, well, this is a shooting gallery. It's interesting. I wonder what will happen to these people now. Oh. That's a lie. You didn't wonder at all. No, because I would suggest I cared. Mm. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the whole thing's a mess, including nuclear missiles don't land on things they explode well above them but that's kind of a dirty detail i'll maybe accept that one for a film right but i think people understand that nuclear missiles are radioactive apparently this one wasn't because a man walks out of the the aftermath of a nuclear missile you know like you do without melting Uh, it's all right it was low yield they did say it was low low yield might have been very low yield (laughs) It may have actually just been a rock they dropped on them. I don't know. Um, I'm pretty sure low yields are very, very relative term. When something's <laughs> a nuclear bomb, Scott, it's still a nuclear bomb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is absolute garbage. It's two and a half hours long and feels like twice that. There are no mm. characters. It's one of the ugliest films I've seen ages. The dialogue is cringeworthy. The acting is... Dave Bautista's been criticised a lot. Um, to be honest, I don't think that's fair. I think he does it as well as he could with what he's done. It's everybody around him that's really yeah. dull. Um, yeah. uh, 
But I do think he does deserve to be criticised for maybe putting his faith in the wrong person because he turned down a role in the Suicide Squad for this film. The Suicide Squad looks like it'll be amazing. Um, yeah. And you think he would have trusted James Gunn because he's worked with him before in Guardians. So why? Why work with Zack Snyder instead? Yes. Yeah, it's just, it's awful. and it's, it, it does commit the worst crime. It's boring. It's mm. so boring. Um, and also, just watch Aliens because that's a good film. With like, memorable characters and everything. Yeah, I knew very little about Army of the Dead coming into it. And so the first five minutes or so, basically the kind of fall of Las Vegas, when basically the introduction, the credits scene, if you will, when uh, Richard Cheese is blaring away and there's like zombie strippers running rampage and people are getting cut up with chains well that massive buzzsaw thing that's brought up and then never really used again and then just getting absolutely like pummeled with them you know zombies getting dissolved in automatic gunfire and all that and I yes. thought, ah excellent the only thing i knew going into it was it's some sort of heist movie set in zombie las vegas and i thought that is one of the stupidest things i've ever heard i'm on board <laughs> And the first, like you say, that five-minute um, sequence at the start really sets it up as being one of the stupidest things you've ever seen. Um, and I thought, you know what? This is great. I am here for this. This is brilliant. I was, I was getting my imaginary popcorn out, and I was getting ready for it. This was, this was great. This is a great five minutes of filmmaking. And then the next two hours happens. Yeah, the, the next two hours are just absolutely a, a, a radical tone shift into absolute dourness and look Zack Snyder has if Zack, if Zack Snyder has a problem and he has numerous problems but the one that's most applicable here is he has to take everything so goddamn seriously especially when it especially does not work when it is such a stupid concept and if he just had a little bit of fun with this concept it could have been great but what he's chosen to do is make one of the most boring turgid vapid you know straight down the middle everything needs to be entirely serious i mean um in this zombie apocalypse where it's the more of the most ridiculous things you can think of and it's already had a ridiculous opening and now you've gone into gritty realism for some reason it's, what are you playing at um and it, it very much is a film that ultimately sets a tone at the start that just is completely betrayed by everything else after after yep. it, which is just incredibly dull um, apart from bizarrely one scene or one little group of scenes where they're trying to set off the, the when they finally get to the vault they're supposed to be cracking into, uh, and they sort of wheel out zombies to try and trigger them. Uh, yeah, at that one moment, dropped in it starts having film. a yeah. That that one moment it decides to have a little bit of fun for two minutes out of the rest of the two hours that's there. God, I I, I just I, I don't know what they were thinking with this. Um, I'll, I'll give Tig Nataro a bit of a break, given that she's you know, acting against herself and um, obvious stand-ins for most of it. It's, yeah. it's not a particularly... Uh, we're not talking about... Um, oh, what was the uh, Christopher Plummer one? Um, All the Money in the World. Yes. I was going to say Colour of Money, but that's, that's not right. Um, yes. Um, certainly nothing like as seamless as they, they did in that particular film. Um, yeah, th- this one... But even to give her a break, you can't say the same for the rest of it. Um, it's got actually a few of the problems we spoke about in uh, Wrath of Man. Um, there's 
far too many characters who have no particular interesting things about them at all, um, including guys like, you know, that, the Latino guy kind of brings his little crew and one of them just sort of gets, oh, I'm, I, I don't think this is going to work and walks out. Yeah. It's like, okay, thanks for coming and wasting a minute of my time. Well, yeah, definitely something that is the conservation of characters definitely not applying to this film either. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just ultimately really dull. Um, yeah, I, I would probably recommend if you have Netflix, watch the first five minutes. That's a great intro sequence. <laughs> Ignore all the rest. The rest of it can only disappoint you. Um, but yes, um, yeah, I, I don't understand what anyone was thinking with this. Um, I don't obviously care about zombie lore, but why? Why are these guys? sort of intelligent and apparently having children, kind of? What? Yeah. Um, actually, no, don't care. Don't want an explanation. Uh, just take it away from me and never do any out of the deads again, yeah. please. Thank you, Zack Snyder. There's, there's no, absolutely no characterization in this whatsoever. I'm not sure if I've seen him in anything before. This is another of those weird coincidences where like, you're not really aware of anybody that you see him in two films you watch, or well, in this case, the one day for an episode of the podcast. Mm. Like, <laughs> Raul Casillo. Um, who was in Wrath of Man, he was in Army of the Dead and between the two of them I largely remember that he had bleached blonde hair in Army of the Dead Yeah, this is all I remember <laughs> about him yes uh, I, I don't know, I don't understand why he's set in Las Vegas um, other than that that would be a somewhere that would have money in a vault reasonably um, so it yeah. sets up everything else but yeah, that would be fine. Conceptually, it's a cool setting if you do anything with the setting, yes, but you don't. don't yeah. So, because that first five minutes is it, <laughs> it really lulls you into false sense of security, like, like oh, they know what they're doing here because they, they 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 don't. Um, yes, you've got like yeah, the zombie showgirls and stuff, and then had the Liberace impersonator come back as a zombie. I would have quite liked that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, a couple kind of funny things there in the montages, and then it's just like oh. I thought, yes, this film gets it. And then clearly no, it didn't get no, it. That, film was ed- that bit was edited by someone else. Yes, I assume Saxon <laughs> had nothing to do with that. Like, uh, there, yes. there are clear attempts at humour in this film and they all fall flat. Most of them are given to Tignataro, but even she can't save them. And again, maybe it's because mm. she's acting on her own and that, every time she's in the film. But uh, maybe yeah. she's watching the theories, but they're also their bad lines are cringeworthy. Uh, yeah. But even then I'm thinking... I'm guessing those bits of the script weren't written by Zack Snyder because he seems like the world's most miserable man. Mm. At least as a filmmaker. Uh, he's <laughs> he's just got... It's like there's never anything light. <laughs> yeah. Everything's always so grim dark with him. I was like, you just do this as a very silly zombie film. It might have been fun. Yeah. Uh, um, and it's, it's, I thought he would have had this in him because uh, most of Dawn of the Dead, a lot of that is not particularly serious from memory I've not seen it in a long time but it's not, I suppose it's played straight but it also has some kind of uh, touches of levity or at least situational irony about it, the whole kind of um, sequence where they're getting out of the house at the start and that kind of thing and it it seemed to work in memory at least quite well, I've not seen it in a long time but I I, I recall being fond of it at the time in a a way that wasn't for a lot of his other work and yeah, it's, it's weird that he's kind of lost the well I suppose maybe it's not weird that he's lost the plot so much uh, as, as we mentioned at some point in the past he saw Watchmen and really liked it so now every film he makes he's will be Watchmen. have yeah. the spirit of Watchmen throughout it yeah. and uh, yeah, Watchmen it, it, it doesn't so Watchmen is one of two Zack Snyder films I actually like and I like Watchmen a lot uh, the other one being Dawn of the Dead um, mm. and the rest of the stuff is varying degrees of dull to terrible um, 
Yes. And it's, it's good to see my bracing is dull to terrible in this film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what's weird though is like he's. Uh, I don't know why he decided to turn this film into an homage to a remake of Aliens is beyond me, but to do that um, suggests that he's familiar with Aliens. Hmm. Did he not notice in Aliens that like there are really distinctive characters? Yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, like, not as we've discussed, actually, we've talked about Aliens in this podcast, but not everybody has enough time to be fully fleshed out. Um, like the, the like frost and people like that, that you know they're marines, mm. but yeah, they're kind of disposable, and that's understandable. The main core of aliens, readily um, describable, really memorable. Actual characters, you remember some of their dialogue, even you could pick them out in the film. Any point in this, there's like, well, yes. Dave Batista's enormous, right? So I noticed him. That man has bleached blonde hair because it sort of makes him stand out a bit in all this dark indoor stuff. And, mm. um, yeah. The, the, in Aliens, I'm not sure where Zbowski actually gets a line, <laughs> but I know the name. <laughs> yeah. And I, I really like Garrett Dillahunt, actually, but he he yeah. kind of do a, like a crappy Burke, um, Paul Reiser from Aliens. <laughs> yeah. like he's, he's completely wasted. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, I mean... Right, take an example of another kind of, of a, of a like, fairly low budget kind of B movie film that was actually recently entertaining, Braven, uh, which Garrett Dill hunts in. He's the leader of the mm-hmm. the f- drug dealers that are attacking um, Jason Momoa. Yeah, I can clearly picture him right now sitting in a cafe and then doing other things like directing people, etc. I was seen that film once. And it was like three years ago when it came out, four maybe even now. Um, and this, I. I barely remember a thing at all now other than that he wanted to get somebody's head because 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 and the whole film was full Some, of something something bioweapon resident evil t-virus kind of thing yeah, yeah i was like well but they did that in alien so we have to do it here yes <laughs> yeah but but um alien creature sort of made some sense in aliens that they didn't want to study it maybe weaponize it incredibly infectious virus that would kill the entire human race doesn't work in mm. Army of the Dead. Uh, and yeah, also <laughs> full of screaming monsters, roaring monsters. You know how much I love that, Scott? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just absolute garbage and it's it's boring garbage. They're the worst kind. Uh. Yes. So, five out of five, says Paul Ross, and we'll move on from it, I think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure our, up. our Paul Ross references are incredibly aged now, just like us. But, um, yes. Is Paul Ross even a thing anymore? Because I'm assuming not. I don't watch television, so I don't know. Or read newspapers, so who knows? Only 80s kids will understand these references. Uh, yeah, so that will wrap us up for today. If you would like to get in touch with us for this or any other reason, please do so at podcast at fudsonfilm.com or through uh, Twitter at fudsonfilm or facebook.com slash fudsonfilm. But until next time, I'll bid you adieu. I'm sure that Drew do. Drew do, 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 do. I'm not taking another swing at that. Go for it. What do you do? What do do? Don't do 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 do. Bye. I'll feed us in. <laughs>